Now, <clears throat> I mentioned to you last week when we finished our series that I'll be going through now to the end of the year. I'm going to be covering some difficult scripture that have been scriptures that have been taken out of context. And uh, there's about 50 scriptures that have been taken out of context. And a lot of these scriptures the Christian church has bought into. And I want you to see some of the things, why they, they have arrived at their certain interpretations of it, and the difficulties that we have with those scriptures as far as bringing consistency to the body of Christ. And this morning I'll be covering one, uh, some, a couple of scriptures that have been taken out of context, and we will see and hopefully we'll get a better understanding of what the scripture is all about. My subject this morning <clears throat> is, are you content? It reminds me of years ago when I was an evangelist, I was preaching on death and dying. And there was a tombstone that read, stop my friend as you go by. For once was you, so once was I. And then it said, prepare yourself to follow me. Well, a couple of teenagers were in that cemetery and they read that. And one of them wrote this. With a marker, he says, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. And that's true, isn't it? I'm not content until I know which way you went. The Bible says that contentment comes from getting what you want in this world. The Bible teaches that true contentment comes from being satisfied with God. So maybe my question should be, are you satisfied with God? I'm amazed I have a commentary set of all the great preachers from way back. And I'm amazed as I read their biographies of how many of them were not satisfied with God. But they preached great, great sermons. I know of some folks when I was living up in Northern Virginia in Vienna. And I took a leave of absence from the ministry and went into the business world, joined the Rotary Club and I was uh, considered probably the chaplain of that Rotary Club there. I would visit the people when they got sick that, uh, in the hospital, and they became my little church line. Um, I've known a lot of people that they thought that contentment was just what the, the world thinks of it, not what the Bible says, but it is getting what you want in this world. And many of them set out to figure out what they wanted in this life. And most of them, they, they made arrangements that they, would, uh, they wanted so much money when it came to retirement. They wanted to live a comfortable life when they were retired so they didn't have to worry about finances. And they spent most of their life accumulating and uh, making sure that they would have everything that they needed when they would retire. 
Well, you would think that they would be content. But I found out that many were not content. According to the Apostle Paul, he indicates that contentment does not come naturally. It's not something that God simply gives us. He gives us the gift of righteousness. He gives us the gift of eternal life. But contentment doesn't come naturally. And Paul said that he had to learn to be content. And I wonder how many of us, we really need to learn to be content. So, we're going to go to Philippians 4, and we're going to read what Paul says about contentment. But I rejoice in the Lord so, excuse me, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul was an evangelist, and he raised up churches all across the country. And these folks, and especially in the Philippian church, they were pretty consistent with supporting Paul. They supported him financially. They supported him in prayer. And they were pretty consistent. But they went through a struggle. And Paul didn't hear from them for a while. And then he says that I rejoice now that you have you've revived your concern for me. And then he says this in verse uh, 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And then he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. When you first read this, you think, what? Paul, the great apostle, didn't he understand or didn't he believe in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that we hear on the airwaves today? No, it seemed like the only ones that that prosperity gospel really works for is the pastors who promote it. Not long ago... In one of the magazines, they put in there the income that these prosperity gospel were making. And it was amazing, really. Some of them were making millions of dollars every year. And so it was working for them. But those who try to make it work for themselves have a difficulty time. Paul said that he had to learn to be content. Now, when you read the book of Philippians, you'll find that 16 times Paul uses the noun joy and the verb rejoice. 16 times. Now, here he is. He's writing this letter in prison. He's not sure of what's going to happen to him, whether he's going to face death or not. And 16 times he uses the word joy and rejoice in the Lord. Here is what we know about Paul's writing, that contentment is something 
that we as Christians need to learn. Does not come naturally, but all Christians can learn it. And that's what we want to do. We want to learn it. Wouldn't you, like Paul, would like to be content in every situation that life faces you? Is it even possible to have nothing and possess all things? Is that a possibility? You see, here in verse 11, the, it's typically translated content, but it really means self-sufficiency. It literally means self-sufficiency. Now, <clears throat> to be content is attained only, according to Paul, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. Well, how do we know that this is, to, this is true? Remember, I mentioned to you several times, when you're reading the Bible, it's context, context, context. And that's what we need to find out. Paul here is saying in its context, the letter to the Philippians, he makes it very clear that he is very thankful for their partnership, their financial support. He's telling them he's very, he's, he's very proud of them, of the way that they have prayed for him, the way that they have encouraged him. And throughout Paul's letter, he brings out the understanding that Christians need to love one another and serve one another. And this is where contentment really comes from. Now, <clears throat> Paul means by self-sufficiency here is that outward circumstances has no bearing on who we are in Christ. You know, I have heard through the years, many people think that because something bad happens to somebody, maybe they weren't, maybe they weren't just uh, following God's plan, and that's why things came. Or they think that because of illness or sickness of some sort, that maybe it's something that they have done wrong. But Paul is saying that self-sufficiency here is that our outward circumstances does not determine who we are in Christ. We are learning to be content. No matter where God puts us, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, it is a process that we are going through. It's a process of a lifetime. The Bible refers to it as sanctification. You are set aside for holy use. And in that process, there is that process of learning to be content. The more that we understand about Christ, his sacrifice he made for us, the more we understand that the sin issue has been settled, it's all over. There's nobody that's going to be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. The sin issue was settled over 2,000 years ago on the cross. And now we look to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. The Bible says that Christ gave us a new heart. 
The Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ. Now this is what we need to believe. We need to believe what God says is true. That he gave us a new heart. We have, a, we have experienced a new creation within us. The self-sufficiency, this contentment that the Bible is talking about, is that it is based on Christ living within an individual. That's where our self-sufficiency comes from, of knowing that Christ lives in the believer. The type of contentment described here reflects God's self-sufficiency, not ours. God made us independent beings. We depend upon God. God's character is revealed in the believer, whether he understands it or not. Sooner or later, as you understand more of God, your desires are exactly what God desires. You have a oneness you have a union in Christ. When Christ lives in the believer, he gives himself for him. He gives us the desires for himself. And that contentment leads to a peaceful and quiet spirit. We find our contentment in Christ. Now, I want you to see something this morning that I hope will bring to you a clearer understanding of our contentment and why it is so important to understand our identity in Christ, who you are when you said yes to Christ. In 1741, Wesley, John Wesley, preached a sermon on Christian perfection. Now, <clears throat> it was a landmark for the Christian church. It also divided the Christian church. Wesley concluded that Christians must be imperfect in some sense. He didn't understand what that some sense was, but he, 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 he thought to himself as he was reading Philippians that it had to be that way in some sense that they were imperfect and yet in another sense they were perfect. Why did he come to that conclusion? It was because of two verses in Philippians 3. Verse 12 and verse 15. Verse 12, Paul maintains that he is not already perfect. But in verse 15, he implies that he was. So here it is. We'll look at both scriptures. Note that I have already, I have already obtained it, or have all, I have, excuse me, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I have laid hold of by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Most of us have been brought up in the church to understand that scripture. Not that I have already obtained it or I, or I have already become perfect. If I were to ask you, are you perfect? You would probably say, not me, not me. 
And I don't know if I could get anybody to raise their hands and say, yes, I am perfect. Because this text says that Paul says that he's not, he's not obtained it. He's not already become perfect. But notice what he says here in 15, the same chapter. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude that if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Now, it's interesting. If you would pick up the book of Philippians and go to chapter 3, you discover how Paul, as he is working his way down, as he's telling about circumcision, as he's telling about the, the war with the flesh and everything, you'll find that in verse 12, where he says that I am not there yet, he's talking about his body not having the resurrection body yet. In fact, in verse 11 it says, in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. But spiritually speaking, we are perfect at our deepest core. Now let me explain how that works. Spiritually speaking, we are perfect. Now, the blood of Jesus Christ has made you perfectly cleansed. When you said yes to Christ, whether you understood the process of what actually took place or not, Christ came in and he cleaned house. He cleansed you. He forgave you of all of your sins. Now, this is what he did when you said yes to him. Now, the resurrection of Christ has made you perfectly righteous. That's what the Bible says. He has made you perfectly righteous. There is a finished work that is done in every believer when they say yes to Christ, when they ask him to come into his life. Now remember, becoming a Christian is hearing the word, believing the word, and that's how you become a born-again Christian. You hear it, you believe it. It's not just repeating a prayer. There's much more to it than that. The Bible says that you have to hear it, and then you have to believe it, and then you are born again. And once you are born again, you cannot get unreborn. It is an, an impossibility. Why was it an impossibility? Because you were given a new heart, a new human spirit, the Bible says. And then you were filled with the Holy Spirit and that new human spirit that God gave you. Now, there is going to be a time when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And he's going to give you a new body. And that new body is going to match that already finished process, that finished work that was done in you at your deepest core. Now, too many Christians 
they feel that it all happens up here. And so they get confused when all these bad thoughts go through their mind. They think that there's something wrong with them. And most of them pray that God will somehow fix them. They don't like what goes on sometimes in that mind. And they're discouraged. They're disappointed at themselves. And they don't understand that that's really not them as we will discover this morning. And so, <clears throat> there's a finished work that has taken place. At your deepest core, that new heart, that you are perfect in Christ. You do not desire to sin. You do sin because of what goes on up here. You listen to all those fleshly thoughts, and when you focus on them, you find yourself giving in to those thoughts. Now, how do we know what Paul is saying here? Notice what he says here in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is past tense. Paul says that when you said yes to Christ, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And where is that Lamb's book of life? It is in heaven. Our citizenship, your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And your citizenship is in heaven. It's already there. Your citizenship is in heaven. You don't have to wonder where you're going if you would die. Your citizenship is already recorded in heaven. Now, the good news is right now, you are who you are. You are a child of the living God. You have a new heart, you have a new human spirit, and the Holy Spirit is living in you. Now, let's take a look at verse 15 again. Paul sort of says it this way. And he says it throughout, you, you look in the book of Romans, sometimes if you go to the last part of the chapter, you find out what, what Paul is really talking about. And now here he says, because of this, because Christ living in you, you have a new, you have a new heart that God gave you. You have a new human spirit filled with the Holy Spirit. Because of this, he says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal what also to, will reveal it also to you. Now, because you have a different attitude, maybe you grew up in a fellowship that believed that you could lose your salvation. Or maybe you grew up in a fellowship that says, no, you can't. Maybe you grew up in a fellowship that preached to you about the rapture and what would happen to you. And maybe you grew up in a church that didn't preach it. And I've said this over and over again. I am so thankful that we are not saved by our theology. We are saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins. But theology is important also. The Bible says... The truth 
will set you free. The truth will give you contentment. The truth will give you peace. That's what the truth does. It sets you free. It gives you a new look at God. It gives you a completely different outlook on yourself, as we will find out in just a few moments. Now, if you have a different attitude, when Paul was in prison in Philippia, he heard from his prison cell that there were people out there preaching a different gospel than what he preached. He didn't scold them. He didn't write them a letter. In fact, he rejoiced that they were still preaching the gospel, even though it might have been only half the gospel, even though there might have been a little mixture there. It just shows you that Paul was so appreciative that if, if somebody was preaching Christ, that's the only thing that mattered. And when I look at the Christian community today, I see the same. There's some things that I think is better not, not said, that is said. But I'm sure that some would look at me and said, say, they would say the same thing. I have been accused that it, I make it too easy for people. You know, I don't know how much more easier God could have made it. If you simply accept him, believe him, you would have eternal life. That's pretty simple to me. But why are there so many Christians today who have such little contentment in life? Well, I believe it's because of the confusing messages that we hear today. Now, I don't know how many of you were brought up and told that you had to die to self. How many of you may have heard that you need to get rid of yourself? Die to self, get rid of yourself. That means there's something wrong with yourself. There's something wrong with you then. If you have to die to self, there's something wrong with yourself. Some have preached that you need to die daily. Some people need, seem to think that you need to really, you need to start all over. Even though you've accepted Christ, you really need to start all over. In Romans 6, 4, the Bible says this. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now notice in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, you know this self that people say you're supposed to die to self? This old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So the Bible indicates that when you gave your life to Christ, your old self was crucified with Christ. So you have a new self. Notice what Colossians 3.10 says. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. 
So the Bible says that you are a new self. And when you hear you're dying to self, that is not in the Bible. But it, they make it sound like it is. That you are to die to self. Your old self died when you asked Christ to come into your life. And you now are a new self. You have Christ living in you. And you are intimately joined to Jesus Christ forever. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You are one in Christ. This idea that you need to get rid of yourself is craziness. You already died to your old self. You accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you are now a new self. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. You don't need to get rid of your old self. It's already gone. No wonder it's so hard to find contentment and peace in the Christian life when you are constantly told that there is something wrong with you. I can tell you that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. The truth is, we are still learning, growing, and going through the process of the renewing of the mind. That's the truth. That's what we're going through. There's nothing wrong with you. And 2 Peter 2.18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. So the Bible tells us that when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, that there's going to be a process. The Bible refers to it as sanctification. And sanctification is a process of a lifetime. So we're going to spend the rest of our life growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we grow, Christ is doing what he said he would do. He is transforming us into his image. And we ought to let him do it. We ought not to get in his way. And too many Christians are trying to figure out what they have to do to make themselves better. And they don't have to do anything. God is in the processing process of making them better. We will make wrong decisions. We will choose to entertain the fleshly world. We will listen to our flesh at times. But we know we know from God's word that the Bible tells us that we are perfect forever. Hebrews tells us that we are perfect forever. Hebrews 10 tells us that all of our lawless deeds, all of our sins, are not only forgiven, but they are forgotten. And they are forgotten forever. The Bible says in Romans 6, 11, 
Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It is up here. It is our attitude. Paul is simply saying, when temptation comes, when the world comes at you, and it seems like it's overwhelming, consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. I want you to see a text that has been taken out of context and that has done damage, I believe, to Christians. And that's recorded in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. And this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, through the years that I've been a, a preacher, an evangelist, I cannot tell you how many times that people have run into difficulties, run into diseases, cancer, many other things. And I've heard people say, well, that is the cross that he must bear. That is the cross that she must bear. I've heard that hundreds and hundreds of times. We must deny ourselves and take up his cross and follow him. For whosoever, the Bible says, for whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then in verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? When you read these scriptures, Jesus is speaking of the salvation experience. If we are to take up our cross and follow Jesus, where did Jesus go? Well, he took his cross to Calvary. Why? To die. Jesus is telling all of us that if we want to follow him, we must follow him in death. And this is exactly the salvation experience. We follow him into death. And so the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we were crucified when Christ, that's why the Bible says that we were, we were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were, we were resurrected into newness of life. But the Bible says that if we clearly reject the gospel message, we will remain in our sins. And the wages of sin is what? Death, the Bible says. And this is what Jesus means when he says to forfeit, forfeit your soul. This is not about 
our need to continually to die after salvation. This is taken completely out of context. The Christian should be learning about our new self and choosing to act like who we really are. Now, as a young Christian, I was taught that, like many of you, that the believer must die to self, that he should die daily, that he needs to de deny himself. And I found out that the harder I tried through the years, and I was a preacher trying, the harder that I tried, the harder it got until I found out it just wasn't true. And that's when the truth sets you free. When you find out that some of the things that you were taught all of your life are just not true. Colossians 3 9 and 10 says this, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So the Bible really is, there's no question here. We have already laid aside the old self and we already put on the new self. Contentment comes in knowing the truth. Our union with Christ is unshakable and unbreakable. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He tells us that he will be with us forever, forever. Contentment comes in considering others above ourselves and giving ourselves to serve others. True contentment comes from knowing who you are in Christ. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and I doubt that you'd be here if you didn't, then you are safe and secure in Christ. The old self died. When I was a preacher, studying uh, every day, praying every day, going through this mental gymnastics of wondering if I was really, truly, truly saved, Sometimes I felt I was truly, truly saved, and sometimes I really wondered. And sometimes I would listen to those thoughts that came through my head. And it drove me to study more and more and more. When I came back from the Marine Corps, I wanted to find out the fairness of God because I couldn't see it anywhere. I couldn't see it overseas. I just couldn't see it anywhere. I thought, well, if you were born in America, yeah, you could hear about Jesus. But what if you weren't? And so I spent the early part of my life trying to figure out 
trying to connect the dots of the fairness of God. And even while I was a preacher, I still couldn't see it completely. And all those years trying to connect those dots, I finally came to the realization that I was a born-again child of God. Nothing could separate me from his love. And that he was doing something within. He was recreating me into his image. And it seemed like I got in his way because I tried to figure out how I could recreate myself into his image. And I found out it was a losing proposition. And then the realization came to me through the studying of Romans that God was right. He was right all the time. That he would do the work. He would recreate me. And when I made the decision to let him do it is when I found my first taste of freedom. He would do it. He would live up to exactly what he said he would do. Contentment comes in knowing that we are a child of God. Contentment comes knowing that our sins have all been taken care of. Contentment comes from knowing that God has called us to serve one another, to care for one another, to want to help one another. Contentment comes from knowing that we were crucified in Christ and he gave us a new life, a life of joy and rejoicing. God finds our commitment to him is being satisfied with him. Satisfied that he's doing what he promised he would do and allowing him to do it. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we can find contentment in knowing who we are in Christ and knowing that you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you would be with us all the way to the very end. Knowing what you are doing within us, knowing what you already have done, we're thankful for that. Now I pray that you'll continue to meet the needs of each one of us as we are growing in your grace. Help us to understand it more and more. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.